welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops-Tay Sequepum territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequepum Ulu. And today's text, Adventures in Babysitting, takes place in and around Chicago, the traditional home of the Peoria, Potawatomi, Miamia, Kaskaskia, and Kickapoo peoples. Meet Chris Parker. Getting ready for the greatest night of her life. Hi. I gotta cancel. Now she's stuck babysitting the Anderson kids. Sarah. Mom got Chris to babysit for me. Chris? Her brother Brad. Oh my. His best friend Daryl. Who is this kid? Stray dog. Take good care of my baby. I'll guard her with my life. What could possibly go wrong? Chris, I'm in trouble. Hang up and sit down. I'll be there in half an hour. This is the night when things go from bad to worse. Big city, scum sucker. Too ridiculous. Wanna go to bed? Hey, I like danger. You should try babysitting. All right. So I'm kind of excited by this because I feel like I have been teasing you with like weird excerpts and sound bites and plot developments from Adventures in Babysitting for the better part of six months at this point. <laughs> You've been trying to get me to watch it for a long time. And I was finally like, Joe, you know that if you want me to watch something, you just need to program it for the show. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. And then the minute I hit play, I wondered to myself wait is chris actually a high school student or is she a college student and this has all been for naught thankfully she confirms late in the film she is in fact a senior yes she is 17 she is 17 yeah no i really I genuinely enjoyed watching this it was a mm -hmm. real throwback to that oh, period boy. of time <laughs> A genre of film that no longer exists, Joe, no. is the children in peril genre. <laughs> mm -hmm. When I was watching this, I thought, I can't believe that John Hughes doesn't have a finger in this because it feels like a spiritual sequel or uh, maybe even predecessor. What year are we talking about here? Uh, yeah, predecessor <laughs> to something like Home Alone. It's so Home Alone-y. And it's funny because as I was watching it, Kiddo came in the room. I was like stretched out on the bed after his bedtime last night. And he was mm -hmm. like, oh, what are you watching? And I was like, it's called Adventures in Babysitting. And he's like, oh, would I like it? And I was like, no, no. it has a lot of peril, kiddo. So <laughs> My much kid doesn't peril, do kiddo. peril. But I don't know what he would have watched in the 80s because all our movies were like this. All of our mm -hmm. movies were like children are in danger and the only person in charge is another child. <laughs> Yes, adults are <laughs> basically it's latchkey kids the decade and yeah. we reflected that in our popular media, but it is wild, right? I mean, these are not absent parents. They believe that they have hired a <laughs> punctual, mature senior high school student and it's not like Chris is bad. It's yeah. just that I mean, th this is one of the things that I remember loving about films of this decade is that 
no one set out to have this adventure. It mm-hmm. just snowballs. And then there's no stopping it. Like, how do you get this genie back in the, what is it? Back in the vase? No, back in the bottle. Help you me. put a genie Which, in a bottle. There we go. How Hello. do you get the genie it's back like in the bottle? you didn't even love Christina Aguilera. <laughs> Brenda, that song is like 20 years old. <laughs> no, impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> that would mean I'm, oh no. Oh no! Oh no! I just withered into a pile of dust. Yes. Um, but Brenna, say folks haven't watched Adventures in Babysitting since 1987. <laughs> what is this movie about? Okay, well, the movie centers on Chris Parker. As we've established, she's a 17-year-old high school senior. Mm-hmm. And she's really excited at the beginning of the movie because she thinks she's going on a date with Josh Lyman. But then Josh Lyman comes <laughs> over and cancels the date. Also known as Bradley Whitford. Yes. Nobody knows him as that. (laughs) Zero people know that. Um, So instead, uh, she agrees to go and do a babysitting gig to kind of get her mind off the fact that she's had this date canceled. Mm -hmm. The person she's babysitting is supposed to be eight-year-old Sarah while her parents go out to a big party. But eight-year-old Sarah's 15-year-old older brother has a giant crush on Chris. And so Mm -hmm. he and his friend Daryl decide to stay at the house. All of this sort of comes a cropper when Chris's best friend, Brenda, calls. She has run away from home. Mm-hmm. Apparently, we're supposed to have known her home life was bad. It was very, very shallowly established that she was planning to run away. I don't believe that Brenda's home life is actually <laughs> bad. I believe that Brenda likes drama. Yeah. And yeah. has maybe, you know, she has threatened to do this many, 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 many times before. And this time she finally pulled the trigger. But, you know, like a lot of teenagers, she didn't have a ton of foresight into how this was going to go. So she only got as far as the bus stop. Yes. So she is at a bus station in downtown Chicago. She took a cab from the suburbs to the bus station in downtown Chicago. But now she's out of money and she's stuck. Mm -hmm. And so Chris decides to go and pick her up. But she thinks she's going to leave the kids behind with Brad to babysit. He is 15 after all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Sarah is not having any of that. And eventually all the kids end up in the car. Mm-hmm. And they go on to have a series of misadventures. Oh, boy. <laughs> Joe messaged me and he's like, what I like about this is that it's like what suburban people feel about the city, but it kind of gets upended. I would argue that it's what suburban people feel about the city and all of it is confirmed. <laughs> because <laughs> they just have this continued series from, uh, you know, a tire blowout on the highway that somehow mm-hmm. gets them involved in an organized crime ring, which they oh, then yeah. have to escape. Meanwhile, at the bus station... Brenda is just being cruel to homeless people, I guess, and I think Mm -hmm. we're supposed to find it funny. Thanks, 1987. Yes, we should very clearly confirm (laughs) that the politics of this film are antiquated. Yes, they are. And I think we should talk a little bit about some of the censorship stuff later, Joe, because I think it's interesting what Disney thought they needed to fix and what they decided to just leave as it was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All this to say they end up, I don't even know how many of the like, strange events except that they're always just about to die they're always very Mm -hmm. much in peril there's a great blues song in the middle of the movie which i very much enjoyed and all this to say they are ultimately saved by the fact that sarah is obsessed with thor and she Mm -hmm. thinks that the man who is not going to give them their car back because they're five dollars short is actually thor and he ends up being charmed by this also there's a playboy that is like central to the whole plot of the movie (laughs) so 80s chris finally finds a boy who's nice and it turns out that mike had canceled their date so that he could date a different girl um that sorry mike is josh lyman he's horrible Mm -hmm. very very horrible in the restaurant 
Uh, and then they get the kids back just in the nick of time. Almost mm-hmm. doesn't happen. And there's a big kiss outside the house. And Brad accepts that the babysitter is too old for him and loves someone else. And the end. Yeah, it's kind of fun because everybody sort of learns a little bit of a lesson, but it's not big hallmarky saccharine stuff. It's very much like, oh, Brad has realized that his crush on an older woman is not only a little inappropriate, but it's just not going to happen. Like, I feel like in a more conventional film, they would have tried to get Brad and Chris together and it would have been bad. Upsetting. Upsetting. Really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, And Josh Lyman gets his comeuppance. That's a great scene. This is true, yeah. And the criminals get away with everything, yeah, which is a particularly interesting <laughs> piece because we would have also had to put them in jail or something. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's something very 80s about the fact that like everybody's having this wild adventure and everything works out in the end, but without mm-hmm. like without any of the bad stuff. So you don't have to wonder if like Joe the gangster is going to come to a bad end for helping them. Mm-hmm. Like it's just everything is kind of okay and it is very it is very John Hughes in that sense, right? And I am mm-hmm. um, I definitely appreciated that ethos. It's it's something that when family movies were genuinely fun, right. It's not an ethos we always get anymore. I think we're mm-hmm. so interested in targeting a demographic like it's yeah. either a children's movie or it's a teen romp. But this is a movie that like I'm pretty sure anybody could watch. Mm-hmm. That's a thing we don't really do anymore. I think maybe that's a streaming thing with the like sort of fracturing of the market and stuff. But this felt like one of those big movies that everybody would have gone to see together on like a summer night as like a family thing. And it's kind right. of fun. Well, ironically enough, I think that a lot of media producers would say that they're still making something like this with obviously some of the harder edges sanded off because you know we don't want to scare the kids but they often think that they're making teen friendly movies that have adult appeal and also like younger kids wouldn't get all the jokes but they would still be able to watch it mm-hmm. and i would suggest that you are right and they are wrong <laughs> like we don't really we do not make movies like this anymore well sanding off the edges is the problem right like the edges are actually what make it a real like I would de- I would describe this film unironically as a romp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I miss romping. Why don't we romp anymore? <laughs> Only in clothes do we romp now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, rompers are in and romping is out. When did that happen? I don't know. We we lost the romp somewhere along the way. <laughs> yeah, it it's such a peculiar enterprise, right? Because in some ways, I don't know that I ever truly believe anyone is in trouble. Like, there are stakes here, and yet it never feels like one of these kids is going to die. Like, there's a moment where Brad gets a switchblade in a gang turf war on a subway, and then the punchline is that he only gets one stitch out of it at the hospital. It's a gag. It's not serious. And yet... There's all these repeated moments like I vividly remember watching this for the first time. This was in heavy rotation in my house. My sister and I watched this all the time. It was on like TBS reruns and that kind of stuff. But um, I remember the first time I watched this thinking, I can't believe this movie has put an eight year old out on a window ledge of a Chicago skyscraper. (laughs) It is wild it is wild what we were putting these kids through in this kind of like zany all-in-one-night adventure (laughs) 
I know, I know. And I, but I think you're right. It's that part where you don't really believe any harm is going to come to them. And I think this is where that, um, that suburban urban divide comes in because mm, I think mm-hmm. the savvy audience member is very aware that, you know, they are afraid of the tow truck driver and they don't need to be. Right. Um, I do think like the stuff on the subway that just confirms like the absolute worst fears of anybody who doesn't use public transportation mm-hmm. is like a little bit problematic. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, if there are black people in this movie, they're bad. They're bad, <laughs> except for yeah, uh, Joe, who mm-hmm. isn't nice. But I think nice only because he's young. Yes. So like, if you're old, this movie either thinks that you're you're dumb and stupid, like Brad and Sarah's parents, who are just off gallivanting around, getting absolutely sloshed, <laughs> and then critiquing other people's car driving. Yes. <laughs> um, or you have to be persuaded to remember something about the goodness of people. Like the interaction with a very young and very hot Vincent D'Onofrio mm-hmm. as this like Thor mechanic where he is willing to penny pinch for $5. He wasn't going to give these kids the car back <laughs> until he is reminded, you know what? You need to have some humanity by this eight-year-old girl. And then it's like, okay, fine. Like <laughs> when you wish upon a star, I guess. <laughs> very much like that it is i mean it's one of those movies where you absolutely are invited to suspend any disbelief Mm -hmm. everything is coincidence but the film itself is charming in the way it asks that of you and at no point do you feel like you're being manipulated or pandered to Mm -hmm. uh, which i think is actually a really hard mark to hit just judging by the fact that normally movies seem to make me feel manipulated (laughs) this one doesn't you know i'm i'm happy to Chris is really the focalizer, so when she's mm-hmm. scared, we're scared. Right. And I think that she's a very – like Elizabeth Shue is just very persuasive in this role, which, Joe, leads me to realize we haven't talked about the cast. Yes. No. Um, so obviously, I think Elizabeth Shue is kind of the most notable person as Chris, but uh, you messaged me and you were like, I hate Daryl and I want to punch him in the face. <laughs> which is funny because I love Anthony Rapp a lot, right? but I don't love him in this role. <laughs> oh, no. Daryl is the most obnoxious bratty <laughs> friend that a young man could ever have. And I love that even the parents acknowledge that when they come home at the end of the night. <laughs> and Chris says, yeah, Daryl and Brad stayed here. And they're just like, oh, poor you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We do, as you mentioned, have Bradley Whitford, but Brenda is played by Penelope Ann Miller, who I had a huge crush on as a kid. Um, She's become something of a a well-known actress in certain TV circles. And she had like a run in the 90s in different types of films. But um, yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio. And I guess one of the other big things that we should note is that the film is the directorial debut of Chris Columbus, Mm -hmm. who would go on to do the Harry Potter films, or at least the first few. And then, of course, uh, he also did our favorite film, I Love You, Beth Cooper. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you're like i don't I was, remember that movie I was super i'll just hoping jog you'd your bring memory that up. <laughs> we hated that one we hated that movie so much and it's so <laughs> funny because i was actually thinking about i love you beth cooper for the first time since we stopped talking about it on the show yeah because it's the same concept right Well, it is but the magnetism of this film is the mm-hmm. only unlikable character and i'm including the villains and the gangsters the sure. only actual unlikable character is daryl and he's unlikable for laughs right like yeah. he's an obnoxious teenage boy and then obviously mike the boyfriend who is cheating but mm-hmm. he's 
unlikable and he gets this massive comeuppance that's very right. satisfying. Yes. In I Love You, Beth Cooper, everyone is unlikable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it turns out you don't want to romp with unlikable people. <laughs> yeah, I, I vividly remember that Beth was the only kind of like somewhat enjoyable character, but that's because she was the embodiment of a manic pixie dream girl. She wasn't a mm-hmm. character. She mm-hmm. was someone's romantic pedestal embodied in a human form. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's interesting that a text that we took so to task for the way it treated female characters you know, to see Chris Columbus directing Elizabeth Shue here, mm-hmm. we have a much more self-assured protagonist. Although I will say something that graded on me, Joe, and I was very curious to know if you noticed it or if it graded on you. Mm-hmm. The number of times that Brad corrects or explains something to Chris, oh, sure. mm-hmm. I found very bothersome because he is a know-it-all child, but he's oh, also yeah. right, like, a lot of the time. And he mm-hmm. undercuts Chris's authority a lot of the time. And that really bugged me. Yeah, yeah, because he's not mansplaining. I mean, he is mansplaining, but he's also He's boysplaining. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting how often, um, even if you just look at the way they are sort of framed, the characters are staged, very often Brad is in front of Chris Mm -hmm. or he's like if there's something very kind of gendered about the way 15 year old Brad takes charge of many of the situations that I was like just let Chris do it like just she can do it just leave her alone Mm -hmm. yeah one of my struggles was that I couldn't I couldn't get past the 80s-ness of Mm. the costuming and Mm. the hair and makeup and all that kind of stuff. Because in my eyes, Chris and Brad look to be about the same age. Yes, they do. I I feel like the movie almost wants you to root for the two of them to get together, even though you're meant to recognize, oh no, when we meet this other character, Mike, the college student who is actually a gentleman and actually helps her and has no conditions, except for the fact that he only does it because he thinks she's hot. Yeah. I mean, you, you see, oh, he is more age appropriate, even though he is obviously older than both her and Brad. Well, and it's interesting, too, because that's a choice that they've made in the styling of Brad, because there's seven years between Shu and Coogan. And so they've chosen to make him look like they're the same age. I regularly forgot that there's two years between them as I was watching it, and particularly Mm -hmm. because he's often staged as being like, you know, in kind of in control of the situation. Right. It is interesting, too, because I don't know that she always authentically comes off as a high school senior, even like when I see the way that Brenda is reacting to things. She's obviously (laughs) a bit of a comedic farce in this movie, like all of the Brenda scenes you could almost excise from the film, like you could just have the initial phone call and then catch Brenda up outside of the bus depot and the movie would more or less be the same. But I do anything it would be less offensive. Indeed. Um, Yeah, lots of problematic stuff happening at the bus station. But I will say that Penelope Ann Miller's reactions, I find hysterical. So I like the Brenda stuff, but she feels very young. Whereas Chris in her grandfather's coat and the long kind of (laughs) like pride flaggy scarf. Yeah. (laughs) There's something so magnetic about Elizabeth Shue. Like I honestly had such a crush on this woman for so, so long. Like... I credit her as one of like a couple of women who confused me sexually for a (laughs) number of years because I was just like, no, I love Chris. And then I just realized, I think I want Chris to babysit me. (laughs) 
to be clear, in 1987, <laughs> I was five years old. <laughs> it's amazing. Everything about this is great. <laughs> uh, I'm not an adult man who wants Elizabeth Shue <laughs> babysitting me. Aren't you? <laughs> I mean, she still looks amazing. Uh, if you want to see a very different performance from her, check out season one of The Boys, which is the very R-rated superhero show on oh. Amazon. <laughs> she breastfeeds a grown adult man in that show so oh okay okay yeah yeah it's a choice <laughs> okay can we talk a little bit joe yes you watched an original cut of the film i did yes and i watched it on disney plus streaming aka the sanitized version yes aka the sanitized version and in fairness to disney they warn you off the top they say right off the yes. top that their the content has been adjusted for i think it says something like uh, content has been adjusted for a larger audience or something yeah disney's been doing this recently well they have and so i gotta rewind a bit and say mm -hmm. that obviously i have a five-year-old at home i watch a fair amount of disney plus yep and we've been working through some of the older back catalog disney films mm -hmm. and one of the things that you often see is a content warning that says, you know, this film is a product of its time. Right. And yes. we have not edited out the offensive content. We okay. hope that as a family, you will discuss, you know, what you see. And so that, you know, comes before things like the, the a notable one is the Aristocats and the Siamese uh, cats scene, for example, right? Right. Song of the South, other things like yes. that. Yeah. Often around racialized content in particular. Um, <laughs> I'm joking because Song of the South is a movie that Disney has never released publicly oh, yeah. in like 40 years because I, it's, it's funny so horrible. funny because you said it offensive. and I was like, I'm not going to show my kids Song of the South, but I'm just going to roll over this. <laughs> no, but yes, I, I take your yeah. point that they, they have been doing this and yeah, it's like often around certain types of content. And it's been interesting because my my kid is always like well what, what and does so that then mean? it which is good right because we do end up having a conversation about it that if they had just go. excised it we probably wouldn't have so you know mm -hmm. that i get but with something like adventures in babysitting as near as i can figure because i of course immediately looked up online what had been censored mm -hmm. <laughs> they change they change the f word so the very famous line don't f with the babysitter gets changed to don't fool with the babysitter boo i understand why they did it but boo <laughs> And they also edit out there's a there's an anti queer slur that Brad says repeatedly about oh Thor boy. when he's making fun of Sarah's obsession with Thor. Yeah, it's not the F slur, it's the softer H slur. But yeah. it is like man, watching that in its unedited form, I was just like, Oh, eighties, here we go. Yeah, it's vitriolic in the way it's uh, it's like sort yeah. of repeated, repeated, at repeated. repeated. <laughs> So that gets changed to the word weirdo in the Disney Plus version. And mm -hmm. I was, I, I kind of get it. Like, kind of. I don't get the F word. There's tons of F words all over Disney. And this mm -hmm. is a PG, I think this was rated PG-13 when it came out anyway. So I don't know why you can't have two Fs in it. So like that, I don't get. Yep. Taking out the anti-queer slur, I kind of get because that would have pulled me out of the movie. As it was, I didn't even notice it when oh, they okay. said weirdo because mm -hmm. I wasn't, in fairness, I wasn't looking at their lips in that moment. So I didn't, sure. like, I missed it. Um, like, you can see the overdubbing, but, you know, oh, yeah. whatever. I kind of feel like I don't mind that being gone so much because I can't imagine it added anything. Whereas the mm. don't F with the babysitter is like, that has some it's force missing. and some power. Yeah, I remember when uh, it got announced that Disney Plus was going to start like adding this to their catalog, people immediately took notice of that line's omission, yeah. and they were infuriated. Because it is, 
a genuinely empowering moment for Chris yes. in this movie, and it's kind of iconic. It is, and here's the thing. So I have two things to say about this. I'm intrigued that they took out the, that language, mm-hmm. but I think that some of the stuff that happens in the bus shelter, particularly around the way Brenda interacts with the unhoused people who live mm-hmm. at the bus shelter – is infinitely more offensive and upsetting and infinitely more something that I would need to have a conversation with my kid about than than the F-bomb. So mm. I'm surprised. <laughs> I guess I'm not surprised, really. But I'm interested in the fact that I can watch something like Aristocats and have this notice to say, hey, there's some stuff you need to talk to your kids about. Um, mm-hmm. But with Adventures in Babysitting, what I get is a sanitized version that that doesn't even pretend at other problems in the film. Right. And the second thing I don't understand is it's on streaming. Why not have both versions? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That latter piece absolutely makes no sense to me unless they would for some reason have to pay double the licensing or the residuals or something. But I I don't know. Like That's I don't have weird. an answer for you. The first one I think is more tricky because you're talking about more than just language. You're now talking about whole sections of the film. So... Oh, I'm not inviting it to be cut. I'm surprised yeah. I don't have that little thing at the beginning that's like, there's stuff here for you to talk to your kid about. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Because I I was imagining, as I joked, you know, you could kind of cut some of this kind of stuff out. <laughs> and could. for the most part, the movie remains the same. But then we're actually talking about full-on censorship. So yeah. that is a very different conversation. But yeah, I, I agree. I think part of this is that people don't care. Yeah, And I say that with a lot of malice is we don't consider unhoused people and other sort of societal community problems like we don't consider those important talking points because we don't consider them problems like meh who cares yeah i think you're probably right the way it's used for humor in the film is like super uncomfortable yeah and but like also, of its time because well, yeah. then and again maybe even now i was gonna say not even just of its time hey yeah yeah. I mean, that that and I think the complicated racial notions within the film. Like, oh, yeah. this is a Chicago set film. Chicago is obviously an incredibly diverse city. Also, reputably one of those cities that gets a bad rap in terms of its urban crime. Like, even nowadays, I mm-hmm. know a bunch of people from Chicago and they're like, yeah, we have murders and gang violence. But like, you live in Toronto, Joe. Yeah. Can yeah. you say you are so different? And I'm like... No, our city also has that bad reputation, bad in quotations. I mean, Chicago is also a very useful talking point for the right because it happens to be where Obama was a senator, right? And so Mm -hmm. you end up with this very, uh, I mean, it's obviously like a racialized dog whistle to say, Mm -hmm. like, oh, you don't care about the crime in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, clearly what, what Adventures in Babysitting tells us is that we have long thought these kinds of beliefs. And and I think you could very easily swap out Chicago for like a New York or something else where it's like the city as a fictional enterprise is mm. scary to people mm-hmm. from the suburbs and you will encounter black people there mm-hmm. and they might be involved in crime. And again... I think a little bit of a a product of its time, but it's interesting if for no other reason than to be like, is this racist or is this classist? 
Well, it feels like something where Hollywood says, we don't actually really believe this, but also this is what we're going to do to sell this movie to people who are coming from the suburbs Mm. to watch this movie. We're going to feed them all of these ideas about what they think the big city is like. Well, I guess that's what I find sort of interesting about the overall conversation that the film is having. And this is, I think, maybe a difference between a John Hughes film and a Chris Columbus film. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think John Hughes is a better director. Um, I mean, fair, yeah. I, I think that in a John Hughes film, we would have had a more explicit articulation of the fact that the things the kids fear about the city or that their parents fear about the city more specifically mm-hmm. are not true. Right? right. Like, I think we would have a, a more sort of unraveling or unpacking of a character like Joe. I think he would have had a more rounded or nuanced um, presentation. Mm-hmm. I think what we end up with is this kind of messy, muddled messaging, which is like, you fear things about the city that are ridiculous. And also a lot of them are true. Right. <laughs> like, I'm going to reinforce a lot of it, too. Like. The- <laughs> scene on the subway in particular right like obviously it's undercut by the fact that brad's injury is minor but Mm -hmm. he still does get stabbed right and so this idea that like there is this high level of violence and just by engaging with public transportation in a city your children will come to harm like Mm -hmm. that's actually reinforced Mm -hmm. by the film it's not undercut whereas i think john hughes was better at complexity and nuance than than chris columbus at least in his first film right yeah did yeah. you see Joe that there was um there was a television pilot made of like a like a spin-off TV series? Oh boy, did I ever. I... Notable mostly for the people that it cast. I know. I would absolutely <laughs> Are you kidding me? Joey Lawrence as Brad and Brian Austin Green as Daryl. I would have watched the hell out of that show. Yeah, what surprised me was that I thought for some reason that the TV pilot went ahead like a long time after the movie had come out. And it wasn't like it was actually, you know, the movie was a hit. And then I think they tried to get the the TV pilot in. And I can't help but wonder if that was part of the problem. Like maybe this sitcom just doesn't land in the same way in the same era. Like maybe they needed to give it a little bit of time to breathe. I'm sort of fascinated about its development anyway. Like, you know far more about this kind of thing than I do, but I'd never heard of a pilot airing, but mm-hmm. then it not going to series. Like, by the time we oh, yeah. see a TV show, it's gone to series, right? Like, can you watch Unsold yeah. Pilots anymore? Not anymore. And to be honest, even back in the day, you kind of couldn't. Like, sometimes they would fold it in, so you would get, like, Empty Nest being folded into Golden Girls. Right. And then if it did well, then you would get Empty Nest as a TV show standalone. Delightful show, by the way. Oh, I love it. Love it, love it. <laughs> so good. But yeah, sometimes they would just be like, we're going to air this and we'll see how it does. And then if it did well, you would get it the next season. Yeah, I was just fascinated that it actually aired on CBS mm-hmm. and then just never nobody ever picked it up because I, I joey lawrence and brian austin green come on right but this is before i mean i don't yeah, know i can't recall when blossom happened but i believe it was in the 90s and definitely 90210 yeah and i was definitely thinking like i'm actually i think of joey lawrence as a 90s teenager so i'm actually surprised he was old enough to be brad in 89 but right i wonder if they actually like lowered the ages down because they would want to have a number of years in case the pilot actually went to series it's also kind of a bizarre concept because at the end of the film, Chris very clearly tells us she's retiring from babysitting. She will never be babysitting again. And then we get a TV series where ostensibly she'd be babysitting every week for the rest of her life. 
Oh, I I fully don't believe that this would have been a spinoff of the movie. Oh, no? They would have just gone back to the start. So it'd be like oh. watching Chris have adventures and babysitting throughout her high school career. Oh, okay. I got it. I got yeah. it. But Brenna, did you yes. see that this movie got a remake in 2016? Um. Okay, so last night you told me to watch it and I actually <laughs> tried. I want you to know that I tried. Okay. <laughs> it's not that it's it's not that it's bad because I can't say that with any authority because I didn't make it through enough of it to find out if it's bad. I can okay. tell you the first 15 minutes are some of the most boring Disney Channel schlock I've ever sat through in my life and you know the kind of shows that I will sit through on the Disney Channel. But you love Sabrina Carpenter. I do I actually genuinely do love Sabrina Carpenter. <laughs> and I couldn't it's not I did not find it to be watchable. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but I tried. I want you to know I tried. I I did not even try. I saw, <laughs> I laughed, I sent to you, and I walked away. <laughs> you know what, though? There was supposed to be a remake um, with Raven as the as the character. Actually, not a remake, right. like a sequel, Further Adventures in Babysitting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which I would have loved because I find, I find Raven Simone very magnetic. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, I know there's some politics issues, but you know, when yeah. she was a Disney Channel star, I really enjoyed her Disneying. Um, and then apparently they thought about making it again with Miley Cyrus and that one fell Which, through. I cannot imagine that. No, I like, can't either. <laughs> I think it would have happened at such an early point in her, in her career. It would have just continued her along the Disney track. So yeah. that would have been interesting, but I do think it would have been like Hannah Montana as Chris, basically. And honestly, it's actually the problem with the film adaptation as far as I got in it is that mm -hmm. it's significantly less edgy than oh, like sure. Girl Meets World. No, I mean like not just more less edgy than the original film, less edgy than like other sabrina carpenter vehicles on disney mm. it's very very soft and yeah no i mean i know i i tend to like that kind of stuff <laughs> but i i got so bored that i fell dead asleep and then i did not try to pick it up again wow. yeah that is true, a low bar story. <laughs> okay okay well Brenna, why don't we play a little bit of why bingo with this property let's do bingo not a good bingo. Okay. I'm okay. giving it musicality, obviously. One, for the opening musical number. Two, uh -huh. for Babysitting Blues, which I really mm -hmm. loved. So definitely. Oh. And I was so happy to, when I was doing very minor research on this, to learn that it's one of Elizabeth Shue's favorite scenes she's ever filmed. It's so fun. It's like, so fun. And it's a great moment for her character, too, of watching her, like, relax into the situation mm -hmm. and, and shed that kind of teenage girl um, anxiety about the self. It's just, it's yeah. very watchable. Yeah. Um, road trip, obviously, the whole thing obviously. is mm -hmm. a road trip. I wanted to ask you if any of the people who are famous now, like Vincent D'Onofrio, would have stood up as stunt casting then, or if it's early career for all of them. I think this is early career for all of them. Like, I was almost surprised that we didn't stunt cast one of the parents. And then mm -hmm. I was like, oh, maybe they are. And I just don't know them. Mm. The 80s is early for me to be able to recognize what would have been considered right. a stunt casting. But also, it's not really something we did in these films. Like, no, they become retroactively famous. So like, when you see D'Onofrio, you're like, holy cow, wow. <laughs> and then yeah. you're like, no, he's just an actor in this movie. Yeah. That's true. Um, I definitely want house porn. I want both mm. houses, both Chris's house and um, Brad and Sarah's house. They're yes. amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give perfect date for the kiss at the end of the film. 
Okay, even the fact that he, like, comes out to the suburb. Well, that's the thing, and he brings the roller skate, right? Like, amazing. I like the friendship that emerges Mm -hmm. between Brad and Chris uh, in the end. I really quite like that. Uh, What have you got? Uh, I don't have too many more, so I do have borrowed time, because obviously we need to get back home before the parents leave the party. Oh, yeah, of course. And... I mean, I guess you could argue that there's a bit of a chosen one going on here where Mm. it's like, is Chris the only one who could have survived this night and corralled all the kids back home in time? I think that's fair, actually. Um, And I think we need to call it a hollow romance. Maybe not from Chris's perspective, but from Mike's perspective. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So, unfortunately, that gives us a good smattering, but not a line. line yeah that's okay (laughs) i really enjoyed it joe i'm glad you finally made me watch it yeah i mean i I think you'd be hard pressed to find people who say this is a classic text like you have to watch this it's not a say anything it's not fast times at ridgemont high but for a lot of people this is the equivalent of like a comedic comfort film yeah I can see that. I can see it's really easy to escape into this world, and it's really um, fun. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, just fun. So fun. <laughs> so, Joe. Yes. Next week is book club. It is indeed book club. It's and unfortunately folks, too late to get I was going to say, yeah, it. we don't want to hear from you anymore no. because you were supposed to have done this weeks ago. Shut it. Um, but... <laughs> But you should still read it because All American Boys is great and you should check it out and we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, so excited. I've been reading, you know, over the holidays in anticipation. Absolutely. But even if you didn't get in on All American Boys, you could be reading ahead to our next full-length text, which I'm intrigued by. It is called Mm -hmm. Thumb Sucker. I have no idea what to expect. Yeah, so this is a late 90s book and a sort of early 2000s film adaptation. Not on my radar. This was actually a recommendation from a listener. Fantastic. Okay, so we've got a lot of reading to do, folks. So go get Mm -hmm. your books, get your reading done. And you can, I mean, not about book club, but you can get in touch with us about other stuff. (laughs) You can find us on hashtag HKHSPod on the Twitter or at HKHSPod. Um, Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B, still my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, that's Gray with an A. And if you've got anything longer, you can always find us via email, HKHSPod at gmail.com. You know, we love it when you write to us. Indeed. Mm Mm-hmm. So until next time, Joe, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film television adaptation. Nope. Wow, Brenna. Super good right off the top. Yay. What's surprising to me is that it didn't go ahead, but then I looked, you know, I I thought maybe, oh, they did this like uh, a Clueless where it came out. I can't actually say that with any authority. Walking back. (laughs) 